Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final episode of the first season of the Benton Hospice Service End of Life podcast. My name is Bob Madar, and today we're going to meet with Jolene, a hospice volunteer, and talk about what she has learned from her work supporting hospice patients and their families that can help us answer the essential question that forms the foundation of these podcasts. What can the experiences of patients near the end of their lives and the people who care for them and love them tell us about what is important in living and dying? Jolene and I met at my home, and I started our discussion by asking her how she came to be a hospice volunteer. Um, well, my mother was elderly. <clears throat> she lived in um, she lives in another state, or she did then, and her neighbors took care of her. They would check on her, and I couldn't because I was so far away. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do something here in my community to kind of pay that back and keep the world balanced. And um, my mother wouldn't move here, so I was I couldn't convince her to come here. So mm-hmm. I this, this was the best I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I tell people I'm a, a volunteer, they say, "Well, that must be very hard." And I can't even explain to them how wonderful and the gifts that I have gotten from the people that I've met. It's been, it's we're the ones who receive, and I, it's hard to put that into words. But. Well, I think it's a really interesting concept. Is is the idea that you're gaining a lot from this interaction with people at the end of their lives? Um, the fact that they allow me to share in this sacred time in their lives is is incredible, um, and they share their love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's easy to love and and be compassionate, and they are loving and accepting. I found a lot of that in the people I've seen. The people you've worked with. Right. So, so there's a certain level of love and acceptance that's coming from these people who are at the end of their lives. Yes. They, a lot of them have been 80s and 90s, and they're at a point where, okay, I, un- they, I understand what's happening, and I'm, I'm okay. And mm-hmm. One experience I had was a, a woman who... I saw she was in her 80s, loved her very much. And at one point, I taught her how to sign, I love you. And uh, the next time I came in to visit, she signed, I love you. And I said, oh, thank you, and I love you too. And she said, isn't it wonderful when it works out like that? I said, yes. That's really, that's really, that's really, that's a wonderful story. When you're volunteering, what do you? What is your your role as a volunteer with hospice? And in other mm-hmm. words, what kinds of things are are do you do? I um go in and see what kind of what their needs are. Do they want someone to read to them? Just to visit with them? Um, do they have anything that needs doing around the house? Um, listen to music with them. Mm-hmm. Whatever mm-hmm. it's kind of their need is. And I think they just basically enjoy having someone there to talk to. As we talked, it became clear to me that Jolene has had a lot of experience working with patients at the end of their lives. And I asked her what was the most unusual or unexpected thing she had done as a hospice volunteer. Bought my first pack of cigarettes for a hospice patient. (laughs) 
You did. She sent me to the store. She really needed a pack of cigarettes. Ah, it's very interesting. So would you elaborate on that just a little well, bit? Well, she, so... she had lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was on oxygen. But she um, she really needed the cigarettes. And well, how could I deny her? <laughs> so she sent me to the store. I went down, got some a pack. And she, would, she took them in the mouth and went away from the oxygen. And, you know... It's not like they were going to kill her. That, let's explore that just for a second, because on the one hand, you could see some people looking at that and saying, that was a huge mistake because you've mm-hmm. given this person the very thing that probably mm-hmm. resulted in her mm-hmm. getting cancer. But obviously that wasn't, you're thinking, could you elaborate well, a little bit Well, maybe it's part of palliative care, um, keeping them comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and uh, she did have that addiction. But. Yeah, so, the, so, so essentially what it sounds to me is that the addiction was, was not important compared to her comfort mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and spiritual, physical needs being satisfied i i think so i mean this this is what would make her happy that moment how does that illustrate sort of your own personal philosophy of working with people at the end of their lives as well as sort of the hospice approach to things um from from my personal philosophy i i want them to be to be surround themselves with the things that they want at the end. If they want a certain book from the library, a certain magazine, whether I approve of these gun magazines or this particular book, it's not my place here. You know, this is your life because it's not about me. It's not about you. Yeah. As we talked, it became clear to me that Jolene was very grateful for all that she had gained personally by volunteering with hospice. And I asked her to reflect on what she had learned from her work with people at the end of life. Because one of the things that you mentioned that I think is so important to me is that while you didn't have, in your estimation, the sort of technical skill set that mm-hmm. is necessary mm-hmm. to, to intervene with somebody, you brought your humanity mm-hmm. to the table. So I'm just curious of like, what kinds of things have you learned over time? Well, you know, it's about living and dying, and I've been to a lot of nursing homes, and I'm thinking that I'm going to be elderly someday, and I'm learning how to be that elderly, how to live and die and and be at peace. Mm-hmm. They talk about a good death and a bad death, and some people aren't, haven't come to terms with things. And some people have, and I want to be the kind that has. That has come to terms. Right. And, um, what qualities do you see that would indicate to you that someone has come to terms with that? And what kinds of things do you see that would indicate to you that, no, I don't think they have come to terms with this? And, and, and another, it, it, so what, what does that look like um, when you've come to terms with it? All the people that I've met who have had the the qualities of I'm I'm ready have been elderly. The young younger people that I've been involved with have been more angry, and it, because they're young, right. it's like great. There's more life. I'm I'm not done. I'm not done yet. Yeah. 
And for the older people, they they realize that, okay, I've had a good life, I have lots of family and loved ones, and I'm I'm ready. Mm-hmm. You know, the body's tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had a... No, I don't really want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just visiting with them is, is... I love to have them talk about their memories, you know. What was it like when you were young? Did you have siblings? Did you have pets? And I love these stories, mm-hmm. and some are more forthcoming than others. And and uh, I, I wish that I had known that moment in their lives when they were young. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm getting them here at the end of their life, and there's so much more to them than just this patient. And I, I want to know that. One of the things that you said that I think really resonates with me is, in some ways, when you're with a person in that environment, in that space, you have to be really sensitive to nuance, their nuance, Mm -hmm. because they're going to give you signals that if you're preoccupied... Oh, yeah. You'd miss. You'd miss them. Mm -hmm. So, being really focused like that is the only, is is so important to relate to that mm-hmm. person where you find them because a couple mm-hmm. of things you said earlier um, is that you're very much focused on the patient the individual patient that's true and sometimes you're, you're there for the family as well sometimes I've spent some time visiting with the spouse who was more in need of something so I would do that a little bit too. Um, then there's the dynamics when the, the spouse is also there. And so you just become a kind of a part of that, that family for a little mm. bit. This one's saying this thing, and this one's saying this. And okay, this is something they've been doing for 40, 50 years. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> so right. you just say, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm in the middle of this yes. dynamic. Yeah. I, can, I can deal with it. I can live with it. Just, wow. So... So, thinking back over the 10 years that you've been doing this work with people, um, are there some things that particularly stand out for you? You know, some situations, some things, and we've, we've talked about a couple of them, mm-hmm. but where you've really gone almost like an aha. I think the most amazing thing was meeting my sister, someone who was... Someone who was my soulmate, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and this woman. How did we? We could have gone through all this life and not met, but we did at the end, and the end of her life, and we're so lucky. And we'll find each other again. That's right. So you felt so connected to that yes. person that that it was like a it was a very special relationship for you. It was a very special relationship. Um, and you know, I knew that. I loved her and that she loved me. Mm-hmm. And, and when that ends, you just, you know that it's not really over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, we're kind of getting to the point of, you know, sort of not wrapping this up, but we've, you know, we've certainly made some progress. But one of the things I'd like to kind of get at right now is that, you know, if you, if you had, you know, w- Something that y- you really wanted to say about your experiences mm. 
as working for hospice. There's a couple of things I'd, be, I'd like to I just... Some, well, you know, my first experience with a compassionate companion, where you're sitting there, they have someone sitting there every two hours, they get a new person, if they don't have family members. Oh, okay. So they have a hospice volunteer with them, so they're not alone when they, when they die. And my first compassionate companion died while I was there. Oh, wow. And I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. This actually happened while I was here. And so we called the nurse and took care of that. And after I walked out the door, it was probably 1 o'clock in the morning, wow, the stars are bright. And I thought, well, everything is so clear and crisp. And when people die... The, the, it, the sky is still blue and the, and the trees are still green and the grass is beautiful and everything is still alive. In hospice, one of the things that you mentioned earlier to me, and I, and I think it, again, I, I, I really want to come back to it, just one, I really commend you um, because that's not an easy thing to do. It seems to me. It is easy, but there are barriers to it. It seems to me to be there for the person and say, I have no agenda. My agenda is to be here for you. My agenda is to know you and meet your needs. My agenda is not to convert you. My agenda is not to coerce you. My agenda is to listen and respond. Mm -hmm. If you think about the reverse of that, which, you know, is... Oh, we got to intubate. We're going to put a tube in here. We got to do this. We got to oh, fight yeah. it like crazy. You know, we got to hook you up to this. We got to, you know, we're, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep giving this. We're going to keep doing this, and you end up dying in an ICU. Uh-huh. And and so the juxtaposition of those two, it, it's yeah. very powerful to comparison. <laughs> yes, how lucky that someone can be with their family. They can be at home. You know, not everyone can be, but to have family around and. To live as much of your life up to the end. Because death is trying to take things away from you, right and left. You, well, you can't do that anymore. You can't eat this anymore. It's a little giving, giving things up every day that you can no longer do. You can't hear this music anymore. You can't see to read anymore. And just to have some basic comfort of loved ones around is... Is so wonderful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in an atmosphere where you have your your, your things, your, your your life. It sounds as though for you, the work you do when you're working with people can be quite varied. It is very. You know, so just expand I've, on that just a tiny well, bit. Well, um, with the types of things that mm-hmm. um, one woman we would have coffee and pie. <laughs> She had a good appetite right up to the very end. <laughs> so we always had a little pie and coffee, and she had someone, a caregiver there all the time. Um, I did watch a Disney movie with people. Just I read books I'd love reading out loud, and um, uh, found that, oh, not everyone likes my taste in books. <laughs> okay, I'll read this, although this woman is getting... It, beaten in this book but all right <laughs> that's what you want to hear at the end um well the cigarettes was very new to me i never bought cigarettes before no. i went to the store and did shopping we go we go shopping um i took one woman to um, a store to, and i 
was walking down the aisles with her. She's, and it was so lovely. I said, you know, this reminds me of shopping with my mother. Oh, I hated shopping with my mother. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. That's great. <laughs> and, uh, oh, uh, this one woman had those um, great courses. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was so much fun. She put them on. We'd watch a, a great course. Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about astronomy or... or the weather, somebody talking about um, the weather and, and climate change. It was so great. Oh, that's really cool. So yes, it was. It like, was. That was I got... mean, I really benefited from that. <laughs> <laughs> because I got to experience these great courses with her. And... That's great. Yes. That's great. So I guess to sum up, this is what this I hear, I'm hearing at this juncture, is, is that... Is that this is an enormously human experience. It is. That you're connecting with another human being you are. in it's, a very fundamental mm-hmm. way. And that it brings joy both to you and to the patient that you're working with and as well as their family members. Right. Well, I hope so. Hope so. But it's a connection that you've built. Well, boy, Jolene, I... Um, this has been great. Um, oh, is there anything else that you really I, feel like you want to say? I just I appreciate getting a chance to talk about this because of the nature of it. I don't talk with people mm-hmm. about these experiences. They're, you know, you know. Yeah, there's confidentiality. Confidentiality, and I. It's just so nice to to share some of the wonderful people I've met and and the, and the experiences and. Yeah, I think that's that's such an interesting thing because everybody, everybody that I've interviewed thus far has in one way or another said what an honor it is to do this work and how much they've gained from doing it. how grateful we are to be able to to do this. It's, I feel, a lot of gratitude Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in, in this. It's... It's a, it's and these and the people who that you visit, they think that you're doing something for them, <laughs> and it's like, whoa, it's really it's about me. I'm getting all the. <laughs> the, the you're giving me the good stuff, yeah, right? You're giving me the good stuff, you know, just by allowing me in your life. And... Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I, um, you know, the other thing that's really interesting too, Jolene, is that everyone that I've talked to, um, and. It, in the in hospice, every every person has been compassionate, kind, mm. giving, and thoughtful. Everyone, wow. I have not talked to anybody that hasn't been that way. Yeah. And everybody has pretty much said relatively the same thing in slightly different language. What a privilege it is, and how much they've gained from that particular right. ex- from the, ex- the experience. Yeah. And the one thing that comes up for that to me is that sometimes it may be that the best you can do for yourself is to give to somebody else. Exactly. That is something that makes your life so much better. It's, I can't even find the words right now. Um, we got time. It's, it's the way to, it's the way to, you allow someone to feel complete and whole in their lives. It's, 
Oh, fulfillment. Fulfillment. That's the word I'm looking for. Wow, this is this is true fulfillment when when you've been able to reach someone and share this intimacy. It does fulfill your life. You feel you whole and and more, com- more fulfilled. Fulfilled, complete. It is very fulfilling to. Um, and when you get this love from these people, you do feel like okay, I'm worth being loved. Oh, that's Somebody really loves important. me, and that's yeah. Oh, uh, that's nice. And you love, and they love, and oh, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Other people. Other people. Mm-hmm. That's the and again. That's one of the things. The message that I've heard from everybody in hospice is that it's about the other. Mm-hmm. It's about and, it's, the other. and it's it's not even an other person. It's it's yourself in that person. We're all in this together. We're all one being. Mm-hmm. Being grateful for the opportunity to help someone else, listening with compassion and understanding without judgment. Reflecting on your life, being connected to and in the presence of loved ones at its end, and being very clear in your own mind about what you want at the end of your life, and making sure your wishes are clear to family members and medical professionals. These are all lessons I have learned from the wise and caring people I've talked to during this project, and I hope what they have said will be helpful to you. I'd like to thank you very much for listening. And I hope you'll return for season two, when we'll focus on the challenges and rewards of being a caregiver to a loved one at the end of their life. For more information, please visit bentonhospice.org.